Hello there, I'm Deadly, my pronouns are she, they, and I will be joining Modified Role for Season 2. I'll be playing Twilight Petrichor, the Twilight Domain Cleric, with a punctual for adventure novels. So have a listen now and get to know her, I'm sure she'd love to hear your stories. The sky is clear. The sun is just dipping below the horizon. And the sky is awash with reds, umbers, pinks, as if someone has dragged a paintbrush across the sky. The hill rises out of the tree line. The trees fall away. And at the crest of the hill rests the Petrichor Observatory. And at the foot of the door of the observatory sits a basket. Some time passes, the sky becomes a deeper shade of red and orange, and the door to the observatory opens. A woman about to step out notices the basket on the ground startles slightly but then leans down to look inside and startles more when she discovers that inside is a baby but most babies don't come with horns a tail or this particular shade of skin from out of the basket she draws a child with lavender skin and bright, shining eyes. Pinned to this babe, swaddled in cloth, is an amulet and a letter. And when she opens the letter, it reads, "'Twas noontide of summer and midtime of night, and stars in their orbits shone pale through the light. Of the brighter cold moon mid planets her slaves, herself in the heavens, her beamed on the waves. I gazed a while on her cold smile, too cold, too cold for me. There passed a shroud, a fleecy cloud, and I turned away to thee, proud evening star in thy glory afar, and dearer thy beam shall be. For joy to my heart is the proud part thou bearest in heaven at night, and more I admire thy distant fire than thy colder, lowly light. The woman looks around, puzzled, confused, and then looks down at the face of the child, who has yet to cry, and just looks up at her inquisitively. She takes the child, letter and amulet, turns back inside and closes the door. From outside we hear voices. Some raise in anger, speak quietly and gently and calm the room. And time passes. The sun and moon flip through the sky, the stars shine brightly, and years later the door opens again, and this time a young child 
darts out. Lavender skin awash in the glow of the sun, followed more slowly by the same woman as before, this time a little more wrinkled around the eyes. Twilight, Twilight, don't you know you cannot go too far from me? But I love adventure. Adventure is one thing, but if I lose sight of you, there will be hell to pay. Well, at least you could pay it out of my pocket money. Oh wait, I don't get any. She raises her hard hands in consternation. Where would you spend it? We live in an observatory. It is two days' ride to the nearest village. I don't know. Maybe one day I'll go on a grand adventure of my own. You can see the woman trying to keep a stern face, but after a few seconds it breaks and she smiles and just nods and says, Yes, I suppose you will. Now, come on, we have to fetch some firewood for the evening, otherwise we'll be sleeping in the cold. And the two of you head down the hill to the edge of the forest to collect broken twigs and branches. You've been living in the observatory for a number of years now. There are many people here, but the one you spend most time with is the librarian, Cadence, uh, the one you're currently out collecting firewood with. She's a kindly woman, uh, gentle. She does attempt to be stern with you, uh, sort of keep you in line, but often fails in her own attempts. Uh, she just can't bring herself to be upset with you for very long. This isn't so the case with everyone else in the observatory. Most treat you with kind well, some treat you with kindness, most with indifference. There are a handful who are wary of your appearance, and though none of you told you directly, and Cadence would never tell you herself, you've heard snatches of conversation. Namely from Tarquin and Charter, two of the older men who have worked in this observatory for a number of years. You've heard remarks under their breath when they believe you're out of earshot about how they should have left you in the forest that night that you were found. Again, none would ever attempt to harm you, but there's definitely been a coldness from some of the members here. But they are the closest thing you've had to a family. What is, how have you enjoyed your, well, enjoyed or not, how has the childhood growing up in an observatory in the middle of nowhere been for Twilight? So... Uh, she's definitely found solace within books, within, uh, running away through ink on pages, um, whether that be, uh, princesses or knights. Uh, her favourite book is actually, uh, Sir Vincent the Gentleman Thief, uh, who is a gentleman by day, thief by night, um, has a very fabulous moustache. Uh, and she absolutely thinks that she could be his sidekick, sneaking everywhere with him, uh, and she tries to do it wherever she can in the observatory uh, to catch the dastardly thieves that took his jewels to steal them back. I imagine this is probably how you've overheard these snippets of conversation by trying to emulate that Sir Vincent Gentleman Thief by sneaking through the observatory later at night when you should perhaps be in bed. Yes. You perhaps overheard <laughs> snippets of conversation you weren't meant to hear. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, she she believes that, uh, like her name, she is as stealthy as the night, um, and she absolutely isn't. Um, 
that was uh, gonna be the next question. She might believe <laughs> this, but in reality, how stealthy do you think she really is? Uh, about as stealthy as a bull in a china shop. Because um, <laughs> she has uh, no no worldly experience to kind of base anything off. So she thinks she is absolutely the most incredible uh, thief to have ever lived. But in reality, she couldn't uh, steal uh, a cake from a cake, like from a window. <laughs> <It'll be interesting. laughs> yeah, I imagine practicing your skills with a bunch of old men with poor eyesight, <laughs> even poorer hearing, probably isn't the best way to gauge your abilities. Yes. <laughs> As we said, Cadence has pretty much been the one to raise you. You've grown up sort of in the library. What is Twilight's opinion of Cadence herself? Um, she she definitely loves her. Um, in the, and I think she's getting to that age where she's starting kind of teenage rebellion. So thinks that a lot of her problems come from Cadence keeping her within the library. Um, but does really value that she has kind of welcomed her, reads her stories every night on top of all the stories she'd be reading all day, um, and has clothed her, fed her. Um, but is now getting to the point where uh, hormones take over a bit more than reality uh, and she kind of is starting to see her as a bit of a, not an oppressor but someone who is uh, a holding her back. Yeah, uh, yeah a mother. <laughs> it's, it's basically, that's what I'm describing, yeah, a mother. You are the only tiefling in the observatory. Mm-hmm. There aren't many exotic races here, mostly human elves possibly a dwarf and a gnome. None of them have seen a tiefling before. How has Twilight felt growing up knowing, like, just straight off the bat that she's not like anyone else around her? How is it, you've, you've, You have been in a fairly enclosed environment, but still mm-hmm. nobody here looks like you. How has that sort of affected her growing up? Uh, I think she definitely, she'll tell you it hasn't, <laughs> but it definitely has. And even in the books she reads and the pictures she sees on the walls and even the studies she sneaks over the shoulders of the scientists to read, no one looks like her. Um, and she doesn't quite comprehend why. Uh, she doesn't know if it's a detriment to her or if it's uh, something wonderful. Uh, but as is the way with uh, your own mind, she starts to feel like there is something wrong with her, which is obviously um, why some of the uh, older members have had some choice words to say about her while she's been <laughs> sneaking around. Um, and she has a lot of self-doubt, um, but she definitely won't let you know about that. Um, <laughs> but it's uh, I think she would be really... It would really mean a lot to her to see someone like her, but I don't think she ever thinks she ever will, because she just doesn't even know what she is, really. Mm -hmm. So, it's no real secret, obviously, from your appearance, and nobody's really tried to keep this a secret from Mm -hmm. you, that you were found. You weren't born to anyone in the observatory, and no one here knows who your parents were. So they have no way of celebrating your actual birthday. Instead, every year they or most of they will gather and celebrate the your what they call your finding day as opposed to your birthday but mm-hmm. largely the same thing that time has come around again and you've had a wonderful day you've been gifted a book from 
cadence that she's had delivered, especially it's another adventure novel. Following the exploits of Sir Vincent, Gentleman Thief, through another of his sordid stories. Mm-hmm. The others have got gifted you little things, little trinkets and jewellery, and one of the elvish uh, members of the observatory has brought you in a dress specially made for the occasion. Uh, what is the? What would you like the dress to look like? Well, I think uh, she definitely has an affinity for stars, uh, given where she grew up, and I th- uh, she thinks they are the most fascinating thing, besides uh, Sir Vincent, the gentleman thief, who is always the most fascinating point of conversation in any given time. Um, she, I think, would love something in like a, a deep blue with maybe some stars on it, um, and uh, something not too poofy and loud because she still needs to be able to sneak about um but enough to make her feel a little bit like a princess even though she'll never admit that she wants to be a princess well uh Fethrin, the elf that you're one of the other other than kate it's probably the other member of the observer that you're closest with uh has in fact got you addressed just like this <laughs> you believe that some of the conversations she's had with you over the past couple of weeks about uh, style and fashion may have been hinting towards this now uh, but she gives you with this and you've been gifted several pieces of jewellery in the book from Cadence and as the night sort of winds on you have a wonderful dinner and some lovely uh, I probably would say where you are you probably don't have, they probably don't bake a cake but they have some <laughs> wonderful like uh, a sweet dessert type thing that you have yeah. and you're sort of ushered off to bed as you've seen as you I would probably say we're f- maybe perhaps feigning to fall asleep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> as you wanted to practice having read more of Sir Vincent's exploits. So after Cadence bids you goodnight and, you know, hugs you tightly and kisses on your forehead, she holds you at arms like and just looks after you and says, I know we may not be the family that you would hope for, but just know that having you here has enriched all of our lives. And... I would not trade you for all the books in the world. And she sort of smiles at that sort of silly comparison, (laughs) kisses you on the forehead and ushers you off to bed. Later on, I'm waiting for Cadence to head back and perhaps believe that you've in fact fallen asleep, you decide to put your new skills to the test. (laughs) Um, You sneak out to see how far around the observatory you can get before being seen. Uh, why don't you roll a stealth check? Okay. Ooh. I rolled a 16, uh, but my stealth is a minus one. Ah, well, 15. <laughs> it, while you're still too young at this point, most of the adults around have partaken in a few drinks, so nobody is particularly uh, observant this evening. So 15 is more than enough. You sort of start sneaking around. You're essentially seeing how close you can get to different people at different parts of the observatory before being seen. And as you are passing by the common area again. You overhear Cadence speaking with Barkin Stargazer, the only dwarf in the observatory at the minute. As you sort of sneak closely, uh, make a perception check. That's pretty good. Um, That is an 18. Brilliant. You're sort of held back in the shadows and you can hear perfectly clearly what they're saying. Barkin's sort of leaning back, filling a, a pipe with tobacco. Starts puffing on the pipe as he lights it. 
It's been 12 years since we first found her, and we've never seen the stars act like they did that night. And Cadence across from her sort of shrugs and shakes her heads like, Perhaps it wasn't a natural phenomenon, something that may not be replicated. He nods slowly. Aye, it's a sure sight though. I've never seen those constellations shine so brightly in all my life. I'll say this much, I feel blessed to have seen it. But gods know no one will believe us if we tell them. Cadence is what nods as well to this. Like, it was certainly a once in a lifetime event. I don't think we'll ever see the like again. And they both nod in silence for a second, and Barkin continues. Did you ever find out what that amulet was all about? Roll another percept. Actually, roll an insight check. Okay, insight uh, 13. You see Cadence. You, you know Cadence very well. You spend most of every day with her. You can't tell what's caused it, but when he mentions this amulet that you've never heard of, there's a very, like a minor second, like a split second when she tenses slightly, and then shrugs and shakes her head and she, she tells Barkin, uh, no, I still don't know what it was for or why she had it, unfortunately. Barkin just continues to nod, puffing on his pipe. The poem was certainly lovely, though. Again, Cadence is... At this point, she's not really making eye contact with him and uh, just sort of nods while looking out the window. He draws slowly in the pipe and blows out a smoke ring. You've not told her, have you? This time, you don't have to make a roll. You can see Cadence's back tenses slightly. And she sort of slumps just a little bit and says... You know what she's like. If she could leave right now to go on an adventure, she would. And we'd have no way of stopping her. And that, I know, if she reads that, she'll leave immediately and... <sighs> I want her to be prepared when she leaves. And he nods, and they both sit back and finish their drinks. What does Twilight think of this? You've just heard Cadence talking about this letter, poem, and this amulet that you've never been told about. She has just had her world rocked completely. Um, she always suspected um, that she had come to the observatory uh, not carried by a stalk. Um... <laughs> But she did. She just never uh, gave. I, I think her... you'll find it. I think you find in this one is the rock that brings ah, to... the rock. Storks aren't big enough. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Horns might get in the way as well. <laughs> um, yeah, she's she's kind of like, what? Why has no one ever told me this? And then her her curious mind is like, what amulet? What poem? What's happening? Um, and she needs to know. She needs to know everything, but she also knows she can't uh, make too much sound because she is currently hiding. <laughs> um, <laughs> so she's kind of having like a office look to the camera moment. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? Um, 
and Macaulay, also, Macaulay Conkle, Conkle, <laughs> look, look, look at the camera and scream open bars yeah. silently. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, without the running and arm flailing yet. Um, but and then also kind of a bit betrayed because she has had to grow up in this not isolated life, but a life without other children, without other people who look like her, uh, and knowing that there is something more to how she came here and some clues um, to kind of set her her little detective mind going um, so she kind of feels yeah a little bit betrayed a little bit curious and a lot shocked from what you've heard you suspect that Cadence may have kept these items somewhere would Twilight go looking for them, or would she confront Cadence, or how, she would, how would she wish to handle this? Absolutely go looking for them. Um, she's gonna... So she's she heard uh, Cadence talking to... Uh, I can't remember his name. Barkin. Barkin, yeah. She's, so she heard him talk, her talking to him, so she's going to... She will absolutely be searching Cadence's quarters, the library, anywhere she thinks like a secret could be hidden. Um, so she actually, in all her adventuring, she has pestered Cadence to make her a thief outfit. Um, <laughs> so it's a little bit like a onesie. Um, but <laughs> uh, and it's got pockets for important thief things like biscuits and That's uh, all I'm picturing now is just like a black onesie but with one of those butt flaps that come yeah, down 100% that is what it is <laughs> and it has a little hood because her hair is like a white blonde mm-hmm. uh, so not very subtle uh, so she has her little horn holes as well so she'll put the hood on with her horns poking out <laughs> uh, and we'll go on a little sneaky adventure okay you, your rule earlier was, would still apply here so you can, you can sneak away from the common area towards Cadence's sort of uh, bedroom area bedroom slash office mm-hmm. uh, obviously it's, you know, it's not locked Cadence wouldn't lock her door to keep you out so you can get in no problem at this point, it is relatively late. It's a full moon outside, with the light streaming in through the window. Uh, roll an investigation check. Oh, that did well. Uh, investigation. Uh, 20, not natural, but 20. Excellent. You turn this office over, but with that roll, literally everything you search that you're putting back in exactly the same way. Like, there's somebody who came in here would never know that this room had been touched. You search everywhere and you cannot find either this letter or this amulet that you heard Caden speaking of. And you know, it isn't a case if you think you might have not looked here, you know you have checked everywhere possible. Mm-hmm. As you're sort of like stood in the middle of the room looking around, racking your brain, thinking where, where can I possibly look? Make a perception check. Uh, 16. Cool. Just as your head turns away from the window, you're almost following the lines of the moonlight coming through, and as you do, your gaze sweeps over the floor, and you catch the briefest glint of something shining through a crack in the floorboards. What does Twilight do? She... Uh, probably 
does that thing where you, know, you see something and you like move your head back and forth a few times to check it's not just a trick of the light, and then to, when she does see it's something glimmering, she'll absolutely go and try and pry the floorboard up. You find that this floorboard is not nailed down. It's sat quite snugly, so unless you get your fingers in around the edges and lift it, it's not going anywhere, but it does come up completely freely. And inside, you see, not completely wrapped, but sort of stored in a little velvet pouch, is a rolled up letter and an amulet. With these found, what would you what would you do? Would you open them then and there, or would you take them away to read somewhere no, else? She's gonna grab it and go because she feel like she's on borrowed time. Like she's turned this whole place up upside down, and she knows Cadence will be on her way back at some point. So she's just gonna grab and go. Cool. You slip the floorboard back in place, pocket the items, and where would Twilight go? So there's a little part of the library, um, which is. Twilight's room, uh, and it's up a little spiral staircase uh, in a in a little like not an annex, but a little room that they've made. It used to be a, a little reading nook, but now it's uh, filled with all manner of books and little handmade toys that they've made out of things from the forest and parts of experiments she's stolen and not told anyone about. Um, so she's going to go up there, and it has a little uh, window uh, so she can look out at the moon. And she's going to sit under that so she can see without lighting any candles or anything because everyone obviously thinks she's asleep. Yeah. You go in, and like you say, this room, there's still piles of books and things in here, so you settle up next to the window, sitting on top of a copy of what retrograde means for your crops and star signs and how to use them. You sit beneath the window with the light streaming through and you pull out the letter and the amulet. Which would you read first? Read which would the... you look at first? <laughs> read the letter, yeah. Uh, you read the letter and you see that beautiful poem that was written. It, you know, it's not addressed to anyone, it's not mm. signed by anyone, it's just this wonderful poem that makes reference to the moon and the evening star. What does Twilight feel as she reads through this? So... She feels a lot of uh, very complex emotions very fast um, and just starts crying um, and kind of is just overwhelmed with this letter that obviously has, well, poem that obviously has so much love and care and attention in it and kind of wondering why she would be left with something that obviously shows this person cares about her. Uh, and then also understanding why she's always had a, an affinity for the stars and the moon uh, as her like her constant companions because growing up she hasn't really had friends um, so she's named all the stars and the moons um, before she learned what constellations were um, mm-hmm. and they were her friends so it kind of it's things clicking into place but also opening a whole new world of questions yeah when you've finished with a letter, what do you do with it? Do you roll it back up, or do you set it aside, or where, where would you Um, I think she is... She'll roll it back up uh, and put it to the side for now, because she will find a safe place for it. Uh, mm-hmm. But she's also curious to what this other shiny thing in here is. Yeah. As you, you set the letter aside, just on the... So maybe on the bed next to you. And then you pull out 
this amulet that you've heard about but never seen before. As soon as you sort of pull it out of this velvet cover and hold it in your bare hands, you can feel something. It's not a jolt or a shock, but you can feel something that makes the hairs in your arm stand on end. Time around you almost seems to slow for a second. Your eyes, your eyes dilate and you see every detail around you becomes razor sharp. Where the moonlight streams through the window and lights itself upon dust motes floating in the air, you swear one, one second there's a flash that resembles one of the constellations, then another, then another, and all these constellations that you've grown up learning about and memorizing the names of and know the stars that make them up, the meanings behind them. They all seem to be appearing just as the moon lights upon these dust motes around you, and the letter next to you seems to unfurl through its own means and as the moonlight lands across certain words traces itself across the words written on this piece of paper it seems to sparkle across evening star cold moon and finally joy to my heart seemed to glisten for a second in the moonlight and all of a sudden you can hear a voice. At last, my wandering child, you have found me. What does Twilight do? She gasps and then looks around to see who's talking to her. You can't see anyone, but this moment of hyper-clarity ends. You're still... The room is still illuminated by the moonlight, but there's not these sparkling dust, dust motes around mm-hmm. you, the words on the paper grow dull again, but you can hear the voice in your head chuckle softly. You cannot see me, but I am always there. I have great plans for you. Just wait and see. Uh, and she will crease her brow and just look out of the window and say, what kind of things? You hear another voice, this time not from inside your head, but instead from outside the doorway. What kind of things are you looking for? Uh, As the librarian pokes her head around the door. What does Twilight do? She throws a pillow and is like, ah, get out of my room. Uh, Kaden sort of steps back and looks a little concerned. But shrugs and said, well, I hope you had a good night tonight. You too. She smiles gently saying, I'll see you in the morning. Good night. Good night. And you can hear her walk away. The voice isn't there anymore. The moonlight still shines brightly through the window, but everything seems just a little bit duller now. That moment, that magic that infused the air is gone. How does Twilight feel? She feels cheated, crestfallen, heartbroken. Um, just, Just as her adventure was starting, it stopped. And it stopped by the one person who she 
had thought was stopping her from having an adventure anyway, and this evening has kind of proved that. Um, and she doesn't know how to get the magic back once it's gone. Well, with that feeling heavy in her heart, Twilight heads to bed. What are the next few days like with Twilight? Obviously, you've experienced this magical moment, this beginning of your adventure. How does that affect her day-to-day life now? She, within herself, feels like she has more purpose because she now has the beginnings of an adventure, the idea that something bigger could be happening because things like this only happen in books, but they must happen because they happen in books. Uh, (laughs) And so to anyone who sees her from the outside, uh, she seems quite distracted and distant, uh, doing chores, sweeping up, very distracted. But in her head, she's having a million miles an hour conversations with herself. And everyone just keeps thinking, they just think she's dazed because of her birthday or just distracted, but she's plotting. Okay, um, roll a perception check. Oof. <laughs> Four. Okay, you, you don't notice much, but librarian, you do catch her sometimes just sort of looking at you, and then when, whenever you turn to look at her, she busies herself with something else you don't really know what that's all about but you you've noticed from that night that she seems to be you know she's always put you know she's always been the one to pay most attention to you but you notice that it's not been like this before you can see her yeah. sort of watching you almost like she's thinking about what to do but you can't tell why <laughs> does twilight try to repeat experience that happened that night does she do anything to try and emulate that or yes try to encourage it to happen again so the next night and every night subsequently she will try to either replicate what happened or do something different mm-hmm. or talk into the air um uh very <laughs> reminiscent of spider-man when he's trying to shoot his webs and he's like go web go do something so he, she's just like looking at the amulet like do something um opening and unfolding the letter trying different sitting positions each night and just anything that will kickstart her adventure again unfortunately night after night twilight tries these things but is not able to make this voice speak to her again she's not able to have another conversation and you try this night after night you're trying different methods and maybe five six nights later maybe she's sat meditating maybe she has the amulet in a pocket where nobody else can see it but her hand is resting on it trying to get this to happen again you're maybe in the back of the library doing this near a window with the uh, moon shining through when Cadence comes through putting some books back on the shelf. Maybe it's a little bit annoying, maybe uh, you're quite obviously sat in a, in a you know, sitting down cross-legged. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's not deliberately doing anything, she's not like throwing things at you or dropping books or making noise, she's just stacking the shelves. But then Cadence starts to talk. You're not quite sure if she's talking to you or talking to yourself, but she's certainly talking out loud and she certainly knows you're there. And she starts talking about a woman she used to know 
a magical practitioner who used to stay and study at the observatory. She was so good at her work. She was thorough, engaging, and just spent all of her time trying to further her study of magic through astronomy. Cadence goes into detail describing an amulet that she used to wear every day. And it word for word describes the one that you're currently holding in your pocket. What does Twilight do when she hears that? She uh, cracks open an eye because she's trying to still look like she's meditating, but she is very engaged by this. So she will uh, make it known that she is listening uh, because she knows the Cadence will be looking at her. So she she might slump a little bit and turn her head slightly. Yeah, as soon as you crack your one eye open, you can see that Cadence is like paused mid motion as she was putting a book in the shelf and she's looking directly at you and she doesn't say anything her expression doesn't change but you she's looking directly into your half-opened eye she continues on uh, she finishes putting the book in the shelf continues talking and says that the amulet was actually a symbol of the goddess Sulune, an enthralling goddess who embraced all the mystery and wonder of the night she would often appear in one of three forms, the mother, the maiden, or the crone. This woman that Cadence studied with and worked with here in the observatory, she, she dedicated her life to studying this goddess, to understand the gentle control and worship of chaos mixed with serenity. The woman's name was Adriana. As she furthered her research, she became more and more obsessed with seeking out this goddess to talk to her, to worship her, and to get answers to all of the questions that she had. It got to the point where she could no longer sleep. She would go days without eating for fear of missing something in her studies. Through studying books that she had specially delivered to the observatory that she worked through with Cadence's help, she came across a story of a holy pilgrimage to a site which would aid in enlightenment and bring people closer to Salune. Upon hearing this, she bid farewell to everyone at the observatory. She told them that she would return, and when she did, she would have answers for all of them. Answers about the stars, about the magic within the night sky, all of it. That was a lifetime ago. They never saw her again. The only news they ever got about her was a letter that they received in frantic handwriting, telling them that she would not be returning and that they should assume she would be dead by the time this letter reached them. Cadence has turned her face away from you at this point. Her breathing is steady, her back is straight, and you can tell that the only reason for this is through her sheer willpower that she is holding herself together to finish the story. She talks about how, upon reading the letter, that the staff were distraught, 
none more so than Cadence herself. This place where they worked and lived together was a family to them. It was their home. Many of them had not seen their actual family or their actual homes in years. For some of them, the older living races, it had been literal lifetimes for their human compatriots. The pain was too much. They stopped talking about her. Not because they hated her for leaving, but because to talk about her was too painful. They allowed her to fade from their memory. But she was always part of the rich tapestry that was the history of this observatory. Even if they never spoke about her, the work she'd accomplished, the results of her studies were still used to this day. But they did not speak of her directly. They didn't want to remember how they had lost their friend who shot for the moon and fell. They could only hope that now she lay among the stars that she had spent her life studying. Cadence takes a shuddering breath. You see her reach up with her back still turned to you and wipe something from her face. And she turns and smiles. She says that that letter was the last news they had of her friend Adriana until Twilight had shown up. She looks from your face briefly to your pocket, smiles gently and says, the amulet, the symbol that Adriana wore, the glimmer in your eyes, they remind her of Adriana. That's why some of those here regard you so coldly. That's why some of them have been distant. It hurts them too much to see her mirrored in you. All the books on Salune, had, we've hidden them in the deepest, darkest parts of the library, where we'd hoped that you wouldn't find them. But I have seen you sneaking about these nights. I know you've been in my room, and before you try to make excuses, I don't blame you for it. I did plan to share them with you at some point, but I just wanted you to be a little bit older first. We knew if you found them that there'd be no stopping you if you decided to leave. She motions for you to follow her, and steps down through the aisles of the books. I'm assuming Twilight follows her at this point. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Also, trying to hide the fact that she has also been crying, but will absolutely follow. <laughs> Cadence has enough uh, sense not to point this out and spoil the moment <laughs> for either of you. She leads you in, as she described, to a darker part of the library, which as far as you know at this point had mostly been used for storing books that were no longer needed. And behind several piles of these, Cadence pulls a bundle that has been tied and wrapped and sets them in front of you. She takes a small knife from her pocket and snips the cord around them and reveals a pile of books dedicated to the study of Salune. For the next couple of hours, Cadence tells you of Adriana, tells you of her studies, tells you what she was like as a person, and tells you about the magic she had used. 
Adriana was a cleric of Salune, and so was Cadence at one point. She had worshipped Salune, maybe not as devoutly as Adriana had, but she was one of her followers until Adriana was taken from them. At that point, she vowed no longer to follow Salune, someone who would take away her closest friend like that. But she would not begrudge you for attempting to study her yourself. She works through the books with you, shows you which ones would be needed to reference through to work through the others and shows you how to begin studying the magic of Selene if you so wished. Yeah, she's going to absolutely dive headfirst into this because she has, as I said, always had an affinity for the night sky and always wondered about her past. So this is a combination of the two and also her love of reading. It just uh, completely sparks her imagination so she listens to any story that cadence will tell her absorbs any information dreams about what this woman would have done where she went what adventures she had before her untimely end and just kind of devotes herself to the the practice of this study um obviously being aware that uh it can be it can become obsessive uh, as she learned from this person so she's going to try and not do that but uh, she borders on obsessive <laughs> well as Karen said she doesn't didn't want you to take this information and run off immediately she has you promised to stay and study with her to prepare yourself for your adventure and you reluctantly agree you remain at the observatory for several years helping Cadence in the library, but ultimately your main goal now is to study about Selene and learn the basics of her magics. You, almost as a ritual now, spend several nights at a time attempting to converse with that voice you heard before and who you now suspect was perhaps Selene herself. Occasionally you'll feel something, a warmth, a light, a feeling but you never get that voice again. You're not disheartened, though. You know when the time is ready, the voice will come again. And it's several days after your 18th finding day, when you're studying in the library, practicing your basic magics and rereading for the umpteenth time the rituals that are carried out to worship Salune. The sun has not long been set, and the moon is just rising. And as the moonlight crests the hill and pours through your window, it strikes the amulet that you've now been wearing around your neck every day. And you hear a voice whisper into your ear. Twilight, it's time for an adventure. What would Twilight do? Uh, She immediately squeals, (laughs) um, jumps up, and then remembers that She's speaking to a goddess and goes, Thank you, Your Grace. I will not fail you. And then does the Macaulay Culkin arms waving, screaming, <laughs> runs and goes to tell Cadence. Cadence listens, and as you describe what Salune has told you, you can see that she is sad. 
But she rallies. She shows enthusiasm. She congratulates you. She's attempting to put on a brave face and appear pleased for you, but you can tell that she is exceptionally sad to know that she knows that this might be the last time she ever sees you. But she does not want to dampen your mood. She helps you pack. She prepares. She makes you promise to wait until the morning to leave. She attempts to share in your enthusiasm, but she does take, she places her hands on your shoulders and calms you and says, I knew this day would come at one point and I do have something else for you besides the amulet and the letter. She leads you to a trunk, which was again hidden beneath piles and piles of books. The chest is dusty. You can tell this hasn't been opened in years, perhaps longer than you've been at the observatory. You see her reach out with an amulet that looks similar to yours, but not quite the same. It contains the same pattern, but it looks to be made from different materials and much more simple in design. And she touches it to the clasp on the chest and you can hear an audible click. She opens it and pulls out what appear to be clerical robes. She unfurls them and you can see that they are robes that clerics who would worship Salune would wear. And she passes them to you. I hope you would take these and that they would offer you some protection and that when you wear them you would think of us here at the observatory. Thank you. Uh, They're just like my birthday dress. She laughs and said, a little more serene, I believe, but (laughs) I will admit the colours are very similar. Uh, And then she will hug her and thank her for everything. Uh, Promise to write. Um, When I remember, sorry, yes. Uh. As you pull away, you can see that Cadence has at this point stopped trying. There are tears streaming down her face and you can... You're getting excited. You're almost trying to pull away from her to get yourself ready, but she pulls you back and pulls you in for a hug. And she holds you like that, her head resting on yours for a few moments and whispers in your ear, you will always have a place here. And then Twilight will pull back and say, I know, thank you. Love you to the moon and back. She smiles at that and releases you and watches as you gather your things and head for the door. Yeah. Going on an adventure. (laughs) And uh, just before she leaves, she will... She's going to say goodbye to everyone. Uh, Even the people who have been a little bit cold to her, she will absolutely kill them with kindness. Um, So she's going to hug them... (laughs) You definitely see when it, when a few of them when a few of them see you in the clerical robes, you can see a few of them are visibly upset, not mm-hmm. angry, but they're being reminded of a very painful memory. And yep. even the ones who are particularly cold to you, you can see some of that coldness melts away a little bit. They're exceptionally sad, but it isn't directed at you. And she's gonna, so she'll walk out the door and do a big dramatic wave and then start walking and then be like, oh, 
my glasses and then run back <laughs> um, because she wears uh, big round glasses when she's reading um, and she could not be anywhere without them. <laughs> waiting for you at the door, waiting for you at the door with glasses in hand is Cadence and as you approach she perches them on your nose, hugs you one last time and stands at the door waving until you're well into the tree line. You travel for several days. You've never really been outside of the observatory. You've perhaps traveled to the local village once or twice to gather supplies with other members of the observatory, but you've never been much further. It is certainly an eye-opening experience. You were sent away with some you know, basic funds from the observatory, but you know enough for a meager living for a few days. You soon discover that... In the real world, people must work for a living. <laughs> so you begin asking around, and you eventually come upon a poster, which reads, Adventurers wanted. Reports of monster attacks on the rise in the local countryside. Skilled adventurers needed to call their numbers and find the lair. Reward on completion. Report to Knight's Valor Keep for details. What does Twilight do with that information? So she adjusts her hood that she has learned is very good to keep up at the moment because uh, as she has been the only person with horns most of her life, out in the real world, she is also the only person with horns. Um, so she adjusts her hood, pushes her glasses up her nose and goes to find the Knights of Keep. You travel for several days, you get directions. Like you say, you're most of the people around here will have never met a tiefling. They're... And this is specifically in this part of the world, they're not, you know, that they do exist and they are around, but you know, they're not a dime a dozen. No, there are very few people who have ever shown you any sort of hostility. And for the most part, it's mostly just them being rude. Uh, most people seem more curious, um, but obviously all that attention does get a bit wearing over a time. You do get directions you head on your way to Knights Valor Keep. And one evening, as you're camping off the main road uh, in a thicket of trees for cover, you sleep that night. Can I ask you to pick a number between one and twenty? Ooh, a three. <laughs> one, two, three. Okay. You fall asleep beneath the bright moon and the stars, and you begin to dream. You dream about stories of Sir Vincent, gentleman thief, of running across the rooftops with him with his stolen goods returned to him and you helping him, carrying things for him and helping him unlock windows and sneak through homes. Then the dream blurs, you're back sneaking through the observatory, listening to snippets of conversation from the librarian, from Bark and Stargazer, from Fethrin and the others. Then again, you're sneaking through the darkness in the forest, with the moon shining brightly through the trees. But this part of the dream seems sharper, seems more in focus. You step from the shadow into one of the shafts of moonlight shining through the branches of the trees. You feel a warmth in this light. You turn and the forest that you were walking through behind you has now opened up into a clearing. In the middle of the clearing stand three figures in robes. 
you approach them and they throw back their hoods. On the left is a young woman with pale skin, almost so light as to be transparent. Her hair is a luminous white that seems to give off its own light, billowing behind her. She's slim and young and looks at you with a gentle smile on her face. The woman next to her is also beautiful beyond compare, but a little older, a little more regal. There are the faintest touches of crow's feet at her eyes. Her hair, still long and luminous, hangs against her back, runs the length of her back down to the ground. You swear you can hear whispers as her hair moves in the breeze. And finally, the last woman is old beyond compare. Her skin like parchment, but still pearly white. Her hair is limp and thin, but still, you can tell, hangs like gossamer threads of brilliant white light. Each of them held out their hands in front of them. And a roll of parchment runs from the youngest to the oldest. The one in the middle takes a quill from her sleeve and touches it to the paper. And there's a blinding flash of light. Your vision is gone for a moment. Just nothing but brilliant whiteness all around you. You blink a few times in this dream and suddenly you find yourself standing in darkness. Until there's a flash and the tiniest pinprick of light directly in front of you. And then another flash and off to the side, another pinprick of light. And then another and another until all of a sudden the dark void of Ranji is filled with stars. You can recognize the constellations you've been taught through your childhood. You spin and these stars are all about you until you stop and directly in front of you is the full moon, bright and large and shining directly on you and you feel a comfort like you've never felt before. And you hear a voice whisper, what will your adventure be? And you're awake. You just drew the fates. for our second character introduction episode. I hope you enjoyed meeting the first of our two new players, Deadly, and their character, Twilight. Join us again in two weeks to hear the third new character introduction and our second new player. That's it for this week. Thank you for sticking with us, and we'll see you soon.